It's 8.30 and we do our best to start our session on time. So good morning. I'm Gloria, one of the moderators, and I'd like to welcome you to New Wine, New Wineskins on Clubhouse, where we seek to build relational bridges through Jesus by engaging relevant subjects. The discussion this morning continues the movement into the Trinitarian relational theology and its impact on race. Last week, a little bit was shared about the doctrine of discovery, which was the beginning of the social construct of racism in this country. Its impacts continue to this very day. Over the week, we were asked to think about how our history impacts the posture of our hearts and lifestyle. How does my core values or lifestyle impact racism? To get us started, Matt, would you open us please in prayer? Yes, thank you. Good morning to everyone. Father God, thank you so very much for Jesus, for the blessing, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the truth of your involvement in our lives, that you came to right what we sought to wrong, that you've come to make whole what we've broken into pieces, that you've come to show and to envelop us in love so that we would be as you are to us, loving, grace, merciful, that we would see the person in front of us. And today, as we continue to press into your heart, Jesus, uh, through our stories and through our experiences, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring about a atmosphere, a situation, the truth of peace and of embracing the one another. Uh, it's for compassion to be the truth of our room, um, acceptance and a desire to love you more, Jesus, so that through your love being poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that we would then be the love uh, in the lives of the people you bless us with. And so this morning as we share and we continue to step into your truth, into your history, would you awaken our hearts to see the truth of the persons uh, in this room, to hear the stories, to seek to embrace um, by being embraced, uh, one another in love. And so thank you for this morning. Protect and guide us. Uh, soften our hearts to hear the words that you are speaking uh, in and through this room. And we just thank you for this morning and protect um, and be with us. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And I yield the mic back to Cookie. Thank you so much, Matt, for that really wonderful and perfect prayer for us. Um, I am Cookie. I am one of the moderators here. <clears throat> And first, before I share any guidelines, I do wanna say thank you for everyone that is in this room for being with us. I want to disclose that New Wine, New Wineskins on Clubhouse is being recorded. These are very, very significant conversations and we do have some guidelines for participation. First and most important, safety, safety and grace are paramount. Our intent is racial reconciliation as discipleship. Listen and engage in a posture of humility. If you would like to speak, you can raise the little hand at the bottom of your screen to be recognized and brought up to the stage. Before you do though, please make sure your bio contains enough information for us to know you're not a troll or a bot. Be respectful, <clears throat> courteous, and succinct only two to three minutes to share a story. Our golden rule is as Jesus' golden rule, love one another. Wait to be called on by the moderator and refrain from interrupting. You can follow New, Wine, New Wineskins on Clubhouse by clicking the little green house at the top of your screen, and you can learn more about us by checking out our About page. As appreciation and encouragement, please feel free to follow our speakers and our moderators. And one last thing, if there is anyone here from, the United, from outside the United States, 
Please note that Clubhouse is not a secure platform. So be mindful of that as you share. So with that, I'll turn it over to Cliff. Thank you, Cookie, and good morning to everyone. Uh, welcome to Clubhouse again this morning. We are continuing our conversation about Trinitarian theology and its impact on race. And today, I, I, I'm excited about uh, today's Clubhouse and the conversation that we will have today. Um, we've been talking about Trinitarian theology and we've done some um, brief explanations of what Trinitarian theology is for those who may not uh, fully understand Trinitarian theology. We know that um, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we look at them as they are presented in the Bible as God, <clears throat> they're in unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect unity, perfect harmony. They are in togetherness, committed to one another, to the other, and totally uh, interconnected and interdependent on one another. And it is that love among them that is unbreakable and uh, that love that creates and causes that connectedness, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, uh, when I think about that, um, it should also, that love should permeate our lives as well, um, where we should be united to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. Um, as as one um, with God and with each other, um, Jesus's uh, prayer in John seventeen twenty three speaks of that. Tells us that's the that's the goal of where we should be striving for. Um, this Trinitarian theology, it is a core value, or should be a core value. It 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 forms and shapes our lifestyle not just something that we talk about, but it is something that we do. We first must be, and then we can do uh, and pre present it as a lifestyle. Uh, last week, we talked about that circle. And a circle, we know, is a continuous connectedness. And if a part of it breaks, then it breaks the entire circle. It, it is broken apart. And that's the way our relationship should be, is like a circle, um, you know, that uh, depending on who we are as people, um, you know, one thing about us as African-Americans or people of color, this is something that we live every day. But for some who may, can, may be able to float in and out, such as um, some whites, um, you know, it's not something that it is a constant. Uh, you can engage in these conversations. You can engage uh, from time to time. Um, and if it becomes uncomfortable, you can bow out. But as a person of color, that's not an option because it is something that is lived every day because of the social construct of racism. Um, and our history has um, basically positioned us um, in this social construct that we live in a racialized uh, society. Um, and so, but today we, we want to grapple with some stories, talk about some stories, share some stories, because for some people, hearing some stories, and, and when I think about our history, uh, just sharing some of the stories in our history, they are so seem to be so far-fetched that some people say, well, that couldn't be true. Well, we have his, historical facts to bear that out, but we also have personal stories, and sometimes even our personal stories may seem 
so far out that it's hard to uh, accept these stories. Um, but we must continually ask the question, how does my lifestyle impact racism? Also, what is the posture of the end of our hearts as we move deeper into this conversation? And as we study the life of Jesus Christ, Jesus told stories. He told stories so that people could relate to what he was saying to, to be able to understand. And so by telling our own personal stories, it helps others pull them into our world into our um, setting, um, help them to understand that we, as people, we have our life stories. And uh, I, I really like hearing people's stories and hopefully we'll hear some stories today. But to break the ice, I would like to share a couple of my own personal stories. Um, and to begin with, uh, I was, I started, my education in the late 50s. Um, between 56 and 60, um, 1960, 1956, I think is when I actually started in kindergarten. And uh, from the rest of that decade, and then, you know, from there into the uh, 1960s. Um, but one thing that uh, was going on in that time it was just when the civil rights issues were just getting started. Jim Crow was very much entrenched in our country, um, but the schools that I attended were white schools and blacks, we were the minority, very few of us were even in those schools, but they were trying to integrate the schools at that time and, uh, I I had an experience when, and I'm not sure what grade it was in, but probably second or third grade, um, when we did timetables, we would do learn our timetables, learn how to multiply, um, and we would have these drills every morning, and I would get my papers back, and. On my papers, there would be these great big red check marks by every single um, response that I would make on my tests. Um, and, and there would be some of those, it would be like they were scored by uh, 100 points. Some of those I would miss like 98, 96, um, you know, 90. Uh, some of them I would miss all of them. And that just really devastated me. And I would go and I would study and study and study. And I would come back and take the test. And the next day, the same thing. I would get my scored papers back. And I would have these great, big, uh, intimidating check marks uh, on my paper. But at that time, for some reason, I had the presence of mind to save my work through my education and from um, all the way up through, uh, through the sixth grade, I saved a lot of my work. And when I joined the Navy uh, after high school, um, one time and I came home on leave, I decided to go back and see what kind of work that I had performed uh, in my, um, my growing up years. And I came across those papers again, and I began to look at those. And all of a sudden, I began to have these feelings again that I would have when I would receive those papers back. And in looking at those, I began to discover something. It's like, wait a minute, this was marked wrong, but the answer is right. And I saw, I looked at a number of those papers and the same thing. And so then I began to look to see if there had been any erasers or corrections to those, but there was none of that going on either. And uh, it really caused confusion at that time as to why these were marked wrong when they were correct answers. And then just 
going back and thinking about what was going on during that time, um, I, I basically uh, realized that the teacher, because I was the only black student in the class, she could not accept the fact that a black student could be ahead of the white students. And so she would deliberately mark my papers wrong. Um, and in the process of that, uh, you know, the one thing that it did, it really messed up my psyche um, and how I took tests. It really caused me to second guess myself. Um, I even to this day struggle with, with that sometimes, even filling out an application or um, ordering on Amazon before I could actually push and, and make a purchase. I have to go back through several times to make sure that everything in that order is right. Even though I know it's right, I have to double check and recheck and recheck. Um, but that's one story that when I look at and I thought, I'm, if that happened to me, I'm sure it happened to others as well. And there are other stories that I, that I can share. Maybe I'll share a couple more uh, as we go on, but I wanna hear from some of the others um, I do have uh, police stories. We we talk about driving while black. Oh, I have plenty of those um, that I can share. Um, but I want to hear from some of the others. And, and if you have a, a story to share, whether you're um, black, we really want to hear from our black brothers and sisters. But as from the whites as well, uh, I'm sure that you all have some stories that you can share about your experience with racism, um, maybe from a family member or a friend or someone. We wanna hear these stories because these are stories that impact people's lives and they have shaped us in some kind of a way. But I just want to invite you to come, uh, take two or three minutes, uh, be remindful that others may wanna share, so don't take up all of the time. But I would like to yield, at this time, I'm gonna yield back to Cookie to moderate this portion of the conversation. Thank you, Cliff. Um, you know, you, you know, you're the first story to share and um, even talking about coming home and looking at those papers and, you know, the confusion and that someone would, you know, mark your tests, your, your answers as wrong when they were right. Um, God, that just, I'm so sorry that happened. I am just so sorry. Um, we want to open it up for stories. Um, I think that Gloria had a story to share. And then if there are people in the audience, we do want to hear from people of color. Um, we want to hear all the stories, but we would like to hear stories from people of color uh, first. And so Gloria, with that, I'm going to yield to you and I'll be watching for others who would like to speak. So appreciate that. And Cliff, thank you for opening up this conversation around stories and sharing your poignant one as well. Um, as I thought about it, and as you shared, there are so many stories and many of them came to my mind. Although I was thinking about one in particular, especially in light of the African-American women that are being considered for nomination to the Supreme Court. Uh, the underlying discussion basically is related to color because all of the women are extremely qualified in their credentials. So the story I'm gonna share is one that happened several years ago, not that many, but several years ago. While I was working in San Francisco, one of my responsibilities was to determine whether the city would pursue providing public utilities in the area of electricity. I was asked to attend a major utilities conference in Sacramento at a major hotel. The registrants included lawyers, engineers, legislators, and administrators in the public utility arena. I arrived at the hotel and walked through the lobby to the conference area, prepared to register for the conference. And before I could get to the registration desk, I was stopped 
and asked why I was in that particular area of the hotel. I shared that I was attending the conference and was then asked to step aside. I did and a hotel manager approached me and indicated that the conference was for lawyers, engineers, and managers. And he also indicated that the hotel had had issues with solicitation. Mind you, a woman of European descent walked right past us to the registration desk and signed in. I showed the manager my registration documents and because I was so flustered and upset at being singled out, it took me a couple of moments to recognize the hotel had singled me out as a black woman, possibly a woman that was soliciting. After showing my registration and several of the attendees that I knew nodding and saying hello, the manager apologized. Since I was the only woman of color at the conference in a sea of white males and the one white woman, assumptions were made. I can't tell you how demoralized I felt um, at being questioned as whether or not I had the right to be in that place. There was nothing about my dress or mannerisms that called for that assumption. It was strictly the color of my skin. A scripture came to mind as I was thinking about this story over the last couple of days, and it is from Leviticus 19.18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When I think about that time, I know that for a while, for a long while, I bared a grudge. Although I consciously made the decision not to seek revenge at the time. I think also about the scripture, John 17, 22, which I've shared in previous sessions. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So even thinking about that person that questioned who I was based on the color of my skin, I now have to believe that God created us all still in the body of his image and as one, and that that person had a lot to learn. And so with that, I will yield the mic. Thank you, Gloria, for sharing that. Um, these are somber stories indeed. And God, I've just, you know, I try to put myself in your shoes, you know, as you're sharing about feeling like that. And, and I mean, I could feel it in my gut, but I know I can't feel it nearly like you must have felt it at that time. And just the grace to recognize and to even to believe that we have all been created in the image of God. I just so appreciate that grace and that and your grace in extending that scripture. So I don't see any hands that would like to share um, from the audience. I would love to be able to recognize you. Um, and as waiting for that, what about people on the platform? Is there anyone that is um, has a story they would like to share? <clears throat> Cliff? Yeah, if, yeah um, I do uh, have another story that really goes along with uh, Gloria's story. Um, when I worked for the power company, um, we were in a partnership with another company out of Houston, Texas. And this was a $180 million project that I was the project manager on. And I had to go on a meeting to, um, we were in negotiations. And, and so I, I traveled to, flew into Houston went into the corporate office. This was in a high rise. Um, we went up on, on the top floor of the 40th store of this high rise was where their conference room was, um, the corporate conference room. And I went into this conference room and uh, there were two or three people there already. And one of the persons from the company that I was visiting, um, I noticed that the person, when I introduced myself, who, who I was, you know, here I am dressed in a business suit and I walked in and um, this one individual, he got up and left the room. 
And in a few minutes, about five, five to seven minutes or so, he came back. And I didn't realize what had happened or what transpired within that time. I only found out after I got back to Portland. Um, but I noticed this individual was very strange. Uh, he would not never talk to me. He would talk uh, to me through someone else. He never shook my hand. Um, but when I got back to Portland, the president of my company told me that this individual had called him and was questioning him about this black guy that just walked in and said that um, they represented his company. And the my president, he indicated to this person, he said, yes, Cliff is our man on this job. And if you're going to do business with us, you will work with him. And so I really appreciate the stand that my president took in supporting me in that um, and he, he told this individual that, yes, you will do this. And this person did not want to miss out on a project that was worth that much money. So he just, uh, I guess sucked up his pride in there and did what he could do to get the business done. Um, but these are some of the kind of things that, uh, happens, but I, uh, again, the, humiliation that is felt and, and I can go on, like I said, I've got a zillion stories that I can tell, but I won't try and tell all of them <laughs> in this session. Um, I, 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 I would like to come back as nobody else will share. I do have some driving while black stories that I would like to share as a black man, but at this time, um, and, and I, and I think Diana, Diana has, um, a story that she'd like to share. She's here with me. And so uh, I'll yield to her and then I'll give it back to you, Cookie. Hello, um, I'm Diane Chappelle and I just recently retired in January. A loan officer, a senior loan officer for the federal government. And uh, uh, the story I would share that is an ongoing story is that certain partners uh, think that when they find out who you are, they think they want to come to the table and tell you how to do the job. And so uh, on a constant basis, I met with developers, lawyers, uh, you name it, was at the table, contractors and I think the thing that really bothered me uh, was the fact that if you weren't saying what they wanted to hear, they act like they couldn't understand what you were saying. Yeah. And uh, I know with this one group, I found them, I found them shady in the first place, but it just got to the point in one of our conferences is that I'm, I, you know, I inform them that I am sitting here explaining the regulations that the government will abide by. And you're acting like I'm speaking a foreign language. So I want you to open your books and read it yourself. It's written in English. And if we don't abide by these rules, there will not be a deal. And so this is an ongoing thing where uh, you come to the table, you're a professional, you know the job, and all of a sudden, even though you don't know a foreign language and you are speaking perfect English, and you're even reading it out of the regulations that the man has wrote, that they contend that they don't understand what you're saying. And, and she yields back to you, Cookie. Thank you so much, Diana, for sharing that, that story. You know, it's another story that is hard to have to hear. And as you were sharing it, I was, I was praising God that you were the one at the table and you had the one to, to stand in strength for what was um, written in the rules. No abide by rules, no get project. 
Um, so I appreciate that. Um, Tracy, it's good to see you up here. Um, I want to yield the mic to you. Hi, good morning. Thanks for letting me speak. I am not black, really um, white woman, uh, but I am married to a black man and have three uh, black daughters. So this uh, conversation is powerful and important. And I, I heard Cliff say white people get to kind of go in and out of that life. Um, I live it every day, except for when I'm not with my husband and children. Um, so I do get to go in and out of it and it's, it's very heavy. Um, so I'm a little bit nervous, but I do have one story driving while black. Um, again, I'm not black, but my husband was with me. This was early on when we were first dating, it was dark. Um, I was driving, we had just left an event at his mom's house and I was following all the rules of driving on the roads and we got pulled over. I pulled over, did what I usually do as a white woman, <laughs> turn off my car and that's about it. And Kevin says, aren't you gonna take your keys out of the engine, out of the ignition? I said, no. Are you gonna roll down your windows? Well, yeah, so I rolled down my windows. Then another, so the cop, that car that pulled us over was one single police officer two more cop cars showed up with three more police officers. Um, they asked me for my driver's license and my insurance. And then they came over and knocked on the passenger door where Kevin was sitting and asked him for his driver's license. And I was flabbergasted. I know the black people in this room are not flabbergasted by this story, but at the time, 15 years ago, I was shocked. Um, we were not doing anything wrong, just driving and they questioned him. He was not, he was not surprised by this. Um, and then they let us go. Um, I have many more stories to share, but they're not mine to share. They're my husband's. So I will stop there. That's my, um, one story that I have other, other stories with my children, certainly that I could share, but, um, that's my driving while black, um, story that I thought, um, was really impactful for me and really changed things for me. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that, Tracy. I am sure that you still feel that, and I appreciate it even how you spoke about, um, you know, you can, you do have the, internet, the opportunity to be in and out of the conversation in so far as you go to work every day, but that is a story that you also live. Um, and I thank you for that. Um, for other people that would like to share, I would again like to reiterate that we are um, New Wine, New Wineskins on Clubhouse. And this morning we were talking about Trinitarian relational theology and its impact on race. Um, we're sharing stories this morning. And if you would like to share, I would ask that your bio contain enough information for us to know that you are not a troll or a bot. Um, uh, and so I think that with that, before we go on to share with, um, others, I think that I would like to share, um, again, I am a, a white person in this. And last week I shared a little bit about, uh, when my relationship with my African-American friend began to get a little bit more open and vulnerable and transparent about our lives. Um, I shared that when she opened her heart to me about what her life was like as an African-American in this country, uh, I flat out could not get my arms around what she was saying. I could not fathom that it could possibly be the case. One could say I was not believing her story. And that night, which uh, I took what she said and my feelings to um, our God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the, the Holy Spirit. And the Lord spoke very clearly into my heart by saying that there was no inherent value, and this is what I heard, so I'm just gonna quote it. Um, there is no inherent value before me that you are white. You could just as easily have been born black. You are to listen to her. Um, God opened my eyes and my heart that night in readiness to see the darkness and evil of racial injustice in new ways. It was a turning point for me and it was a call on my life. 
and what the Lord has shown me, I cannot ignore or be silent about. And it started for me the very next day when I apologized to my friend for my response and shared with her what he had shared with me. And our lives continue to be connected in rather profound ways. Um, an experience of, of blatant and dangerous racism occurred a couple of years ago when the two of us were on a muni bus together. Uh, we got on the back portion of the bus along with an African-American woman and her teenage son. The woman sat directly behind us and her son stood in the very back of the bus. A man who looked to be perhaps in his late 60s or so was across from us. Um, he was a white man and he began harassing the woman behind us. She was being very quiet as the man's taunts escalated. Her son made a couple of appropriate comments about respecting his mother in a good way. The situation escalated further and was potentially dangerous. I reached my hand over the seat to take hold of hers and my friend did the same. I think that the woman and her son exited at the very next stop. And as she got up, I held her and I kissed her on the cheek and said, be safe. I did the same with the young man. After they exited, the man started in on me and about who I was standing for and with. And he kept it up until he exited after another couple of stops. I said to him quietly, you could use a little bit more grace. This kind of racism is alive and mean and scary. And our experience was potentially very volatile and we debriefed it very significantly afterwards. What was the most clear to us was that it was the spirit of God standing in us, an involuntary movement of the spirit and a movement of other focused self-giving love. And it was a very, very scary experience to be sure. And yet it was profound at the same time to see what God did in us to stand for the sake of the other, come what may. And that's been an ongoing movement in, in my life over these years of growing in what I guess my friend would call advocacy. Um, so with that, uh, I also will yield the mic if there's anyone. Oh, I see um, Marcus up here. Um, Marcus, I, I want to yield the mic to you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Um, and thanks for the opening prayers. Uh, I think I'm, I'm, my comments, well, I want to point my comments towards uh, more systemic kind of experiences. Um, um, I think that we all share. Say, for instance, you know, even though I've owned several homes in my lifetime, I've never owned a piece of ground that wasn't stolen from the people who originally inhabited this land. And I'm complicit in that ongoing um, uh, crime against humanity, just in in participating in the whole capitalistic game of land ownership. If, so that has a a particular uh, weight on me. And then when I think about how you know over the last 25 years or so, how Many times I have either been a participant or facilitator or, or, or even sponsor of diversity, equity, and inclusion work inside of organizations because that work was necessary because it was legal and within the rules of how the, the organization uh, comported itself to discriminate and to cause harm to others uh, based on the, the issue of, of race. And, and other identities in that, you know, I'm somehow complicit with that. And that, that impacts me in a particular way to know that I live in a world that has to be instructed that, um, uh, uh, they live in a world that has laws and rules that allow for the mistreatment of people like me 
uh, for very ordinary circumstances uh, of the type that folks are are speaking about here. And so I just wanted to make those comments to point at systems of oppression as opposed to people acting um, as individual actors um, in prejudiced ways. These are very different things for me, full stop. Thank you, Marcus. That's a, that's a, a very profound statement as well, to be able to get at the systems, um, the six systems and the structures. Um, I appreciate you bringing that uh, to the fore in this conversation. Um, with that, I'd like to um, yield to Hong. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Cookie. Um, yeah, I, I, just, <clears throat> I just wanted to share um, a bit of my experience that, that I learned a lot from. Uh, I come from, you know, I was born in South Vietnam, a country at war, and, you know, terrible things at war, of course. Um, and I, you know, we lost our country. We were without country for a while and then came to America. Um, so when I came here, you know, as a refugee and people shared stories, you know, um, stories, for example, like how, um, where they live among, you know, the Vietnamese refugees among, um, in black neighborhoods and, you know, and, and some of the neighbors would just come into their house and just help themselves with the food in the fridge. And because they're bigger and stronger, uh, yeah, there's nothing they could do. Stories like that, right, that are scary. And then, you know, so at one time I was living in New York and I was walking late at night um, in, you know, in the dark, in, in the streets, in the dark corner, and a very big black person approached me. And so you can imagine how afraid I was. So, and he said, hey, um, can you give me $5? And um, it's not the $5, but I, I wonder what happened after the $5, right? So I said, uh, look, I, I want to help you uh, if you walk with me. And he said, okay. And then I was walking towards, you know, where there was light and there was a grocery that, um, a Korean grocery that was open at night. And he said, are you tricking me? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not tricking you. I, I mean it, I want to help you if you care to follow me. And, you know, and he followed uh, all the way to the grocery store. And in the meantime, I was asking him, so what would you use the $5 for? Just, just to make conversation. And he said, you know, he has a baby at home, didn't have money for milk. So we got there and I bought him um, a gallon of milk and I gave him $5 and, and that was that. So yeah, I'm sharing the story because, you know, we walk around with fears and sometimes we act on the fears and they are not reality. And it's hard to overcome the fears, right? I think that's, that's what I want to share. And the other things is this, I mean, of course, having lived decades in, in the US, I, I know, I, I've heard, you know, I actually have seen some about, you know, uh, rednecks and, and things like that. And I was caught one time in, um, in Virginia with my son uh, in a place where there was nobody around and no food and we were hungry. We were looking for a place to buy food. And I saw these women, these white women, you know, in Virginia and, and their two little kids. And I went to ask the ladies, you know, where can I buy food? And, and they explained to me, there's no food around there. We just had to drive, we, we cannot walk to get food. And that was that. And then when I left, the young, the, the little boy, I think he may have been 10, ran after me and he, he called me out and I turned around and he gave me a, a wad of cash. And he said, here, take it. I said, what is that? Is that yours? He said, yeah, it's mine, but take it. I said, no, I can't take that. <laughs> That's yours, just keep it. So, I mean, our, our perceptions and, 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 you know, what we know and assume may not apply to the moment. And, and um, yeah, I think in our fears, we don't give people the recognition of who they are. That's what I want to share. 
It's a good word, Hong. Thank you very much. Sometimes we act on fears that are not reality, and sometimes our perceptions do not apply to the moment. Those are good words. Thank you so much for sharing them. Um, I was looking to see who else we have up here that was going to share. Um, okay, is there someone from the platform that would like to share a two to three minute story? And if not, I'll turn it back to Cliff. Thank you, Cookie. Um, I think I see a couple of others that does someone else want to share before I come back? I see no. Troy yeah, right. up here yeah. and LaShawn. Okay. So we're sharing stories, um, limiting to two to three minutes. Um, and I'd ask us to um, be succinct because we are at 9.15. So with that, I'm going to yield to Troy and then to LaShawn. Yeah. So I want to just share a story that uh, happened to me and my son. Uh, about six, seven years ago, we were driving uh, to uh, Louisiana uh, from Florida, and we got pulled over about 1 a.m. Um, the cop that pulled us over told me that uh, uh, some, some kind of way I didn't use a turn, turn signal. And, and first of all, I want to say uh, I respect cops. Uh, uh, I many times tell them uh, when I see them, say, thank you for your service. So I get pulled over about 1 a.m., and uh, he says, I didn't, uh, I failed you to use a turn uh, turn signal to change lanes. Uh, I recall driving about 15 minutes. It was no one in my uh, rear or my front. So he pulls me over. Uh, he asked me for my uh, license uh, and the registration. I gave him the car. He asked me where I was going. I told him I was going to Lafayette, Louisiana. And so uh, he asked me, uh, why was my driver's license different from uh, my tag? Well, I told him, you know, in the beginning, this is a rental car. Well, he asked me that question twice. Uh, is this a, a, a rental? Uh, why is my license different from my tag? Well, anyway, uh, he's, uh, he asked me, could he do a search of my car? First, I said yes. Uh, then we went to the back. We got out. We went to the back. Uh, and then I declined because he's, he put out a piece of paper saying, hey, I don't have to sign um that uh it was my right so i said i declined he said well now we're going to, have to call the dogs uh so they separated me and my son and um my son told me they kept asking him, are you sure this your dad my son was about 16 are you sure this your dad kept asking him kept asking him that and so what really frustrated me is i asked this cop about three times what was it that caused you to want to search my car what was it that i display uh, at that time, I think I was maybe 48. I've, I've never been arrested, never been in trouble. Uh, I, I work. Uh, my wife and I have been married going on 30 years. I pay my taxes. Uh, I, and I was on the way to uh, preach at a friend of mine's church. And so I kept asking him, you know, why was it that he pulled me over and wanted to search my car? Well, I never got an answer from him. Uh, and only conclusion I came with with the deductive reasoning, he seen me and my son being African-Americans and assumed automatically or perceived that we were running drugs and we were not. Uh, my name is Troy and I'm done speaking. Hello. Hi, my name is LaShawn. Can everyone, I don't know how to work this. Can you hear me? Yes, we can, LaShawn. Go oh, ahead. Good. And welcome good. to this stage. Thank you so much. I just want to share uh, really quick. I was working at a transport uh, place as a transport agency. I was the only black there. Um, there was a young lady there. She just kept picking on me and calling me out my name. And, you know, we're all walking out the door and she'll just close the door on me. And I didn't understand it. So I politely went over to her and I said, I'm not comfortable with the name calling. Can you not call me any more names? And what's going on? Is it, you don't, you not like me? And, and she just continued to call me names and just bug me and picked on me all day, every single day. So I took it up with management and I just, uh, just went to the office and I said, Hey, I'm not comfortable how, you know, this young lady is treating me. She's calling me out my name and she's doing this and that and the other and slamming the door in my face and pulling my chair and pulling my hair and just all day. She was just, just bothering me. And so finally, after, you know, maybe two weeks and three weeks of that going on, they didn't really do anything. They called me in the office 
and say, hey, we just cannot have this negativity on the floor. And they let me go. So I'm I'm at home, just got let go, fired from my job. And I'm thinking, okay, what can I have done? You know, but I figured I couldn't do anything. Whatever I would have done, I would, I, I, I just thought I, I would have been fired either way. If I didn't tell management, if I did. But, you know, I was polite to everyone and they let me go and I was just baffled. I could not believe that. So that was the story I wanted to share with you all. We're so grateful for you sharing the story, LaShawn, and also Choi. So sorry again for your experience. I'd like to turn it back to Cliff. Thank you so much. And I thank each of you for sharing your stories. Um, you know, Gloria, your story um, of your experience. Um, Cookie, uh, thank you for sharing yours. Diana and Tracy um, sharing a story about you and your husband. And then Marcus talking about systems, the systems that have been established. And then Hong talking about fear, um, you know, and, and I know that as a big black man, there are people who look at me and afraid um, immediately strike fear when I have no intention sometimes not even recognizing that a person may be there. Um, but the one thing that um, today we're talking about uh, Trinitarian theology and its impact on race. And in thinking of Trinitarian theology, um, we cannot ignore love. Love is the um, underlying foundational, um, you know, theology that we're looking at here. Everything that it has to be grounded in love. In our um, reactions, uh, we can react out of hate, out of negativity, out of fear. But as believers, we must have the love of Jesus Christ abiding within us and let that form and shape our lifestyle even when others do not acknowledge who we are when they want to come at us with hate or violence the love of Jesus Christ must overcome every type of hate um, some people will depend upon the systems to act out of their own, um, the, the act in their own hate or um, racial overtones or undertones, but the love of Jesus Christ will prevail. And when I think about the story that Cookie shared, it was the love that prevailed in that situation. Many stories that I have, it was the love that I believe um, that held it together. It, that the Holy Spirit, and we cannot negate the power of the Spirit, of the of, of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And as we are relating these stories, let's not take them as, wow, that is unbelievable, but pray for people because these stories are real. There are people out there with these these um, perceptions about other people. But as each one of us, as we go forward, it may seem like it is so uh, such a huge thing that what can I do in my own sphere of influence to bring about a change? Well, the one thing that you must remember is that the 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 love of Christ on the inside and the Holy Spirit uh, that who works through you is greater than any act of hate that exists. And we can make changes one person at a time. Um, and it's going to take some forgiveness uh, as we all work together, as we have been had our understanding opened up about this evil. We can make changes in our world. And I just want to say that uh, for every person on this call, be thankful that 
God has chosen you to be a change agent. And don't pull back from that, but embrace it and walk into it, especially as you understand this Trinitarian God that we serve and the power that is working in and through each and every one of us. And with that, I will yield back to Cookie. Uh, thank you, Cliff. Uh, I think I'd like to yield to Matt. You uh, might have some comments to, um, I mean, Cliff, your comments were just profound here. Um, and, but Matt, was there something that you might like to share before we close this morning? I think, thank you, Cookie. Thank you, Cliff. And for those that have shared, I think uh, in light of the room in New Wine, New Wineskins, who New Wine, New Wineskins is, the truth of New Wineskins is to build relational bridges in contemporary culture through Jesus Christ. And I think in light of the room and what we've been talking about, it's important for each one, as uh, Pastor Cliff was earlier mentioning, to understand that the stories are not meant to be um, individual stories that are disconnected. But for each person, whether they've experienced discrimination or racism to the level that has been discussed this morning and shared, that the hope is, is that each one of us would pause so as to realize and to really assess where we're at with the people in front of us. Are we seeking to love and to embrace those who are in front of us um, as Jesus did? And for people who don't have a faith, for each one of us to ask then, how is it that I see today? And what is the truth of this day for me? And so these stories hopefully are a reminder for each one of us that we are all interconnected. And as Dr. King said, that there's a mutuality, a network of mutuality that regardless of if it's happening in front of us, that each one of us is indirectly linked, that we are indirectly um, uh, influenced and impacted when racism and hatred uh, are reality in today's culture. Injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And so for us to remember that and for us to also to know that in this room that New Wine, New Wine Skins knows and hopes that each one of us come to realize that this truth of racism and hatred can only be washed away through those who love Jesus um, and then seek to love themselves so as to love the people in front of them. And so I just appreciate the willingness, the authenticity, the transparency, and would invite you to uh, make New Wine a part of your weekly activity every Tuesday mornings, 8.30 to 9.30. Because when we step into one another's stories, we step into one another's lives so as to then expand the truth of this life in front of us. And so I appreciate the, the willingness to share and understand that when we do share, we help one another. Um, and so thank you for that. And uh, Cookie, I yield the mic. Thanks, Matt. Um, is there anybody on the platform that really wanted to share but hasn't had an opportunity to share quickly in these last moments? I don't see any mics flashing. Um, okay, so I will remind everybody that we are New Wine, New Wineskins on Clubhouse. Um, you can follow us by clicking the little green um, house at the top. And um, with that, I was thinking of a, a statement that um, uh, the late Dr. Richard Twist had said, and he had said that, um, talked about the Trinity and the unity in the diversity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the, Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he said that in the absence of diversity, there can be no unity. And I was reading that again this week and thought about um, the truth of that, you know, and us learning to um, live in what, what does that mean, that the unity in the midst of diversity in the context of, of self-giving, other-focused love. 
So with that, I'm going to invite everybody back to join us next week. Um, thank you for everyone that has shared this morning, as Matt said, that um, the stories are important for all of us. And we are just so deeply thankful for your willingness to share. Um, and with that, I am going to um, close the room and we'll see you all next week. Blessings. <laughs>